Sustain 267. Welcome to the Sustain 267 podcast, where we look at issues affecting climate change in Botswana and Africa. I'm your host, Batugili Siti. Happy World Environment Day! The World Environment Day is the most renowned day for environmental action and has been since 1974. It has been celebrated annually on the 5th of June with the purpose of raising awareness and getting stakeholders to focus their efforts on a pressing environmental issue. The theme for this year is Biodiversity, Time for Nature. So this week's episode will be a tad different. I'll be sharing a webinar on reducing biodiversity loss and finding solutions in nature for climate change. The webinar was hosted by Botswana Climate Change Network, supported by Pan-African Climate Justice Alliance, PACJA, and the British High Commission in Botswana. So I did think of recording an episode, especially for today, around the theme. But I also thought, why not share another relevant, great conversation that's going on on the same topic touching on both Botswana and Africa. The session was kicked off by Transport and Environmental Specialist and Botswana Climate Change Network Board Vice Chairperson, Dr. Douglas Rasbash. He has stayed and worked in Botswana. However, he's currently based in Uganda. He spoke on the status of biodiversity in Botswana and shared suggestions on preservation of our biodiversity. Uh, allow me to... Just take a step back in time. I was born in 1950 in London. Uh, nobody had even considered the environment at that time. Our River Thames was judged to be an open sewer. Small fields, thousands. Trees and hedges were cleared to grow more crops. Foxes were killed. Badgers were gassed. Uh, rabbits were controlled by something horrible called myxomatosis. It was a terrible, terrible disease. Birds of prey were poisoned almost to extinction. And there was no environmental science, uh, no subjects taught at school anywhere at all. And yet there was the very wonderful Sir David Attenborough that I'm sure we've all heard of and others advocating for change. Uh, since those bad old days, there has been a huge change. There's no doubt about that. Everybody now knows about the environment. And all schools teach it from a very, very early age. We have become environmentally aware. And yet, over these 46 years, our environment has suffered more and more. That seems to be odd as we've become more aware. Perhaps it's just that we've become more able to measure the, you know, the deterioration in our environment. But it definitely has suffered more and more. There have been many successes, but the battles continue between those that care for the health of our planet and those that do not. We see this in the USA with a, a, a backstepping on many climate uh, and environmental uh, laws that were set in place by the previous administration. In Brazil, the fires, Australia, and sorry to say, much of Africa too. In environmental advocacy, it seems sometimes to be a case of one step forwards and two step backwards. For example, the current pandemic may have been zootonic. Zootonic means animal diseases transferred to uh, to man from animals, and you know. That is an indication of poor environmental practices. But many are saying that COVID-19 is our wake-up call. And if it is, we must use this window to act. For Botswana, then, 
where does it rank in terms of environmental health? And the answer is not very, not very good. By all measures, its environment has worsened and continues to worsen. The most obvious one being loss of biodiversity, which is what we're talking about today and others will continue to talk about. Since 1974, since the very first World Environment Day, Botswana has lost 60% of its biodiversity. The populations of almost all species have reduced. I said almost all. We know one species that hasn't reduced, of course. Satellite imagery geographically shows the decreasing density of our vegetation. That's a very good measure of biodiversity loss. Now, the causes are understandable. In 1974, the first WED, there were only 800,000 of us in Botswana. That's all less than a million, actually. But now, of course, we're around 2.2, 2.5 million, I think, something like that. In the 1970s, there were 3 million cattle and, and 500,000 goats, according to some recent studies. Um, uh, cattle have reduced down to 2 million, but goats have increased to around 2 million. And they eat everything, especially small plants and trees. 60,000 small subsistence seasonal farms, less than 5 hectares. And they are unsustainable. Climate change is reducing rainfall, and there are increasing droughts. Pressure on land, water, natural resources is increasing all the time. For Botswana, there are encroachments into world, manage, world wildlife management areas, WMAs, habitat loss, tree felling, poor land management, especially overgrazing and the overuse of chemicals that kill insects that much of life depends upon. In a report by UNDP not so long ago, it charted that uh, uh, 1997 there was land was classified. 17.4% of it was classified as being uh, degraded, and now that figure has increased, I'm sure, to probably 20% or more. But we have huge areas of land that are protected, and that's a great asset. Although human wildlife contacts. Uh, conflicts are very common. Uh, biodiversity nonetheless suffers. So how do you measure biodiversity? Um, biodiversity is measured by the number of species that exist in a certain defined area. It's another name for it is species richness. All things living are counted. Plants, animals, insects, everything is included in uh, the biodiversity index. In Botswana, the latest survey that I've seen of biodiversity, we have 534 birds, 36 amphibians, 159 reptiles, 83 fish, 115 mammals, and between two and 3,000 plants and trees. And that adds up to uh, a biodiversity index of about 3,500. I compare that with South Africa, we have 762 birds, 132 amphibians, 447 reptiles, 2,087 fish, 297 mammals, and 23,420 what's called vascular plants. And that provides an index of 27,145. 
South Africa is one of the most biodiverse countries in the world. In Uganda, where I happen to be locked down, located now, it's also very biodiverse. We have 18,783 species. So there are many countries in Africa that have that are substantially more biodiverse than Botswana. And that means our biodiversity, our biosphere in Botswana is very, very fragile indeed. On the policy side, uh, we are signatories uh, to the Convention on Biological Diversity, the CBD, which was signed a long time ago in 1993. Unfortunately, our policies and plans have not really been modified very recently. Our wildlife conservation policy is dated 1986. I hope my research is accurate. And on the other hand, I hope it isn't, and that my colleagues say, no, no, we've changed it. But according to my research, uh, most of our biodiversity-related legislation is very old indeed and really not up to the mark. So we need new policies. Uh, some commentators say that our lack of updating our policies is due to lack of skills, capacity, lack of coordination by our MDAs, um, ministries, departments and agencies. And some people say even more cynically that key ministries don't even consider the environment to be, and biodiversity to be even important for funding. There is a funding gap. There was a fund set up years ago, but it's roughly 100 million pooler, less than it should be each year. Of course, we're a signatory to Agenda uh, 2030, that's the Sustainable Development Goals, of which SDG number 15 is the one that uh, relates to um, uh, the health of our land. It's called Life on Land. Uh, they, they have about four or five uh, key targets to be met there. Uh, biodiversity Index is the one that I mentioned. Uh, plant species threatened, mammal species threatened, the amount of forest gained and the amount of forest lost. But there's a need for data, unfortunately, and I couldn't see Botswana's data. I hope my colleagues on the panel say, look, here it is, but I couldn't, I couldn't see Botswana's data. So what's the way forward? Well, the way forward is very definitely to ap apply the main 11 principles of the Convention of Biodiversity. And there is an economic concept which we should also apply as well. That is called decoupling where the economy, economic growth is decoupled from resource consumption. It shouldn't be inevitable that as the economy grows, we simply consume more natural resources. It doesn't have to be like that. We don't have to consume more land and more resources. We don't have to cut down more forests just because our economy is growing. And we must produce food more smartly. The way, the way we produce food at the moment really impacts on biodiversity. We should use hydroponics. And I can put in a little plug now for a group that I set up a year ago called Botswana Hydroponics. We have seven or 8,000 members now. So more and more people are becoming more aware of smart farming technique, techniques like hydroponics. We should enter the circular economy with enthusiasm. We recycle water and recycle our waste. We must do that. That also helps uh, reduce the impact on biodiversity. And there's one thing that I know I'm going to be shot at for saying, but we should reduce our dependency on meat, on cattle. 
I can feel the rotten tomatoes coming in my direction as I say that. But cattle and goat farming is not good for biodiversity. It is healthier for us as well. We must, must live more tidily, more compactly. We must stop the sprawl. We must make more use of tech, uh, online services. We must reduce traveling and the consumption of fuel and all that. We must, of course, as a priority, restore as fast as possible the 60% loss in biodiversity. We must stop cutting trees down and, and start planting them. And one of the, uh, you might say, strategies behind planting more trees is to absorb, to sequester the CO2, the extra CO2 that's been created by uh, industry and, and particularly uh, transport in Botswana. One thing that we know all about is the use of charcoal. That must stop as a matter of urgency. And the only way we can do that is to very quickly replace that source of energy with solar panels, off-grid solar panels. And we must do it very, very quickly indeed as a matter of priority. A prerequisite for eliminating, uh, uh, a prerequisite for eliminating poverty in rural areas must be a, a priority because poor people tend to do things which if they have the means they probably would not do. So the less poverty there is, then that the less pressure there is on biodiversity. But building awareness is key to everything. We started off by saying that and teaching. That's what we at Botswana Climate Change Network do. We do it every day. And all the staff there are to be congratulated for all the hard work that they're doing, um, like setting up this, this meeting. Um, most of the things that I mentioned are fairly well-known strategies, but the policies are there, but they've not been approved or adapted or implemented by the MDAs yet. We're working on it, and sometimes these things get done without a policy. And as individuals, we don't have to wait for government at all. We don't. We are absolutely aware of what biodiversity is and what we should do to improve it. And we need to get on and do that. So my final closing comments are to you all this. Let's celebrate World Environmental World Environment Day by promising to do more to save our planet. Because we all know there is no planet B. Thank you very much. Like we all know, there is no planet B. <laughs> In fact, someone shared today. Um, so yesterday, trading for alcohol was finally allowed after a two-month ban due to the COVID-19 lockdown regulations. And someone shared um, something on social media today, which basically said we need to protect the earth, if for no other reason, because it's the only place confirmed to have beer. There's some motivation for elbow benders on why they should care for earth. Next up was Kulegani Nagwaza, representing the South African Youth Centre for Climate Change. He shared on feasible ecosystem-based approaches and data-based solutions for climate change, including their experience in South Africa. Apart from working for the SOICCC, I am also working for the faith-based organisations because my background is, is faith-based and my academic background is also a theology and religion. So... Um, I'm working with the ACT Alliance globally and the Lutheran World Federation and in our engagement on the climate just, on the climate change processes in the UNFCCC, I represent the interfaith networks. 
which includes a lot of uh, religions, including the Islamic relief, the Brahma Kumaris, uh, the Buddhist, and 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 others. So, but in this webinar, I'm going. I'm representing the youth here. Um, and my presentation is going to be. It's going to be about the eco the ecosystem based adaptation approaches and nature based solutions for climate change. Uh, this this is not go going to be uh, about the the really practical steps that everyone can take. Unfortunately, and apologies to that. Uh, but I'm going to look at what the SAYCCC is currently working on. I'm going to present that, and I'm going to present uh, on our perspective on the policy processes and the policy and the approaches will be based on the approaches the uh, the policies the approaches sorry the approaches will be based on uh, the the what, what we have worked on as the SOI triple C from what we have worked on and from our perspective as young people in South Africa uh, we believe that everything is still in the in the in the face of global warming and the problem for everything is in uh, is 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 about the increase of global warming, and we know the solution to that. The the twenty eighteen IPCC report uh, still echoes that uh, we we need to keep a global warming below one point five degrees Celsius, and we must focus on that rather than two degrees Celsius. So we all know, maybe maybe all, some of us know that um, in order for us to tackle climate change, we need to we need to meet the goal of reducing or maybe limiting the global, the temperature increase by two degrees Celsius, but pursuing 1.5 degrees Celsius. But the scientific uh, research says that that let's rather focus on 1.5 degrees Celsius because we are already suffering the consequences of one of almost one degree Celsius. And if we can keep it to 1.5, that will be enough and not above that. So we are still there. And this is the, 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 the important paragraph that I need to read it for you. There are high risk already appearing at 1.5 degrees Celsius of global warming, such as the almost uh, the almost complete extinction of corals, huge marine biodiversity and fish stock stock loss, and the hampering of food security and coastal dependent livelihood. On land, huge damages are predicted to happen too, caused by drought, heat, flooding, and more extreme weather events, endangering health, food and water security, and both human and natural systems are at risk. So I think this is the, the most important um, paragraph which relates to uh, climate change and biodiversity. Now, in the context of South Africa, uh, where we are based on, and here I am recalling the open letter which we wrote to the president exactly one year ago, uh, which, uh, which talks about uh, the following, that there is a disconnect between the human systems and natural systems in the in the South African laws, and we reference the disconnectedness, uh, the history which was encouraged by the by the law pre nineteen ninety four, and then that even still today there is seemingly that 
uh, similar disconnectedness between the ecological systems and uh, the the human we believe that the human right should be linked to the right of mother earth in terms of the principle of equity now the principle of equity here refers to um uh, the use of natural resources and the and to ensure that the natural resources are not misused uh, so the natural resources include everything plants trees and animals and so in that letter we specifically talked about oil companies that have applied to do the oil, the, the oil exploration in our ocean offshores and mentioned particularly Sasol Afri and ENI. ENI is the oil company from, from Italy, which is also operating in South Africa. So they applied to, to do the oil ex- exploration in our offshores, dividing it with, uh, in KwaZulu Natal and particularly in Durban. There is a place which we were particularly studying, uh, which is, uh, is planned to be operated by Sasol. So we believe that this in particular for the constitution, which talks about a healthy environment and which, which refers to the, uh, the, the ecosystem. And yeah, so we, we wrote that letter and believe that this, is, this will in, in, in our oceans offshore here. There was an incident in 2016, um, but let me read this, this line for you. So the seismic co- um, reconnaissance phase of the oil exploration in of marine mammals in year 2016 in Guazul Natal. I wrote, I wrote this, this, um, this line uh, without a reference, but I wish that maybe I, I had much time to, to give you a reference. You will find out. But there were, there were many uh, mammals uh, that were kicked off by ocean in our, in our, in our offshores here, I mean, sorry, in our coastal here, and they found many, many dolphins and other of the activity that was being conducted in our offshores, which, which then killed these, these mammals. So we believe that this is a part of the activities that is our, our marine life in the, in, the, in the oceans. So despite the 2016 incident, our ecosystems and biodiversity are still threatened by inconsistency. Uh, that includes the current draft climate change bill and inadequacy of political will for the ambition principle. So the political will for the ambition principle is that um, while that oil exploration is as if that um, there is there is no will from our uh, political leaders. Uh, that that includes the, the minister because we made we even had um, a conversation with with her in particular, and then that was uh, some folks in the. Um, in the political po- uh, positions, so there's no there's, there's no ambition to that, and because they are the ones who are approving these these activities, and also because these these companies who are who will be doing uh, these activities in our offshores will be uh, are not South African companies. So uh, in that way, we don't believe that it is, and the people are not consulted, of course. So there's no uh, consistency of the law in the in the climate change bill. Um, we, when we made a submission in 2018, we raised a concern such as with the with the with the Paris Agreement, and particularly, it does not have, it does not show any uh, any any uh, uh, anything on the um, on the quantitative and qualitative goals in the climate change, any, uh, any climate action that is necessary for our for our context here in South Africa. Um, so now I'm going to present two. Um, two approaches, policy approaches, and the first. Um, um, so the, the 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 solutions to, uh, to to these problems, I believe that they they have to be um, to be related to the NDCs, the nationally determined contributions, and the sustainable development things. Is that we need to plant trees and conserve the forest and protect areas 
and and so that is the the best nature based uh, eco adaptation solution to climate change practiced absolutely by anyone. So to plant a tree, you don't really need uh, a permission of the government to plant a tree. And uh, there are other forests, even the even the small forest uh, in our our rural areas. You know, in in Africa, like South Africa, uh, we have a, a lot of lot of places which. Uh, like like the rural areas, even the semi-urban areas, we do forests. I think we can conserve them for our biodiversity lives. Um, uh, the, the the speaker before me talked about he gave us the numbers uh, of how many birds do we have, how many animals they live in our they live uh, in our residential areas. So in conserving the, the even the smallest forest could be one of the naturally uh, based uh, approaches that we can practice. So the benefits is SDG number three, good health and well-being. SDG six, clean water and sanitation. Eight, decent work and economic growth. Fourteen, life below water. Fifteen, life on land. And sixteen, peace, justice. Solution number two is improved early warning system for 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 cyclones, floods, fl uh, flash floods, and droughts. These events are sometimes overlooked because usually events happen. And it is always not clear how much biodiversity loss occurs in each of these events. And so as far as I'm concerned, when, for instance, a cyclone is, is happening in, in, in some of the lives have, have been lost, how many properties have been destroyed, but uh, there's, there's no clear, um, it's not clear how, many, how much biodiversity do we, do we lose uh, of these events. And also oceans, which is, which is very much uh, causing risk to the sea life. So the benefits to this solution of improved early warning systems <clears throat> is SDG number one, hunger, two, three, uh, good health and well-being, and uh, six, clean water and sanitation, SDG eight, decent work and economic growth, SDG nine, industry innovations inequalities. So those two solutions, I think th those are the most important among others that I wanted to, uh, to present to you. The report Kulagani spoke of um, on two degrees versus 1.5 degrees was covered rather extensively in one of our past episodes, the Trust the Scientist episode. There's also a link to the report in the episode description. Next was the Rose Among the Thorns, Lindiwe Mudise. She is the Chief Environmentalist at Green Loop Environmental Consultants in Botswana. And she spoke on mobilizing innovative finance for nature-based solutions for climate change. I've been writing articles, um, I think, for the past year. And I've been writing them for the Business Weekly. And I had time to actually touch base a bit on responsible investments with innovative ways of climate change when it comes to business. Because um, I think we have a problem of um, being misunderstood as environmentalists that we only do EIAs, which are environmental impact assessments. For that, a lot of communities don't understand that environment was beyond the EIA that you do for for, for a structure or for a building. Right now in Botswana, I was trying to engage the community in understanding um, what responsible investment is and how the environmental factors also um, can drastic worldwide and globally. Um, so I had written an article actually that I'll share a link while I was still talking during the, the, the webinar um, discussing climate change mitigation strategies and responsible investment initiatives for long-term environmental gains for Botswana. So basic current studies indicated that in the 21st century um, was bound to experience climate change with adverse um, um, impact on ecological systems, human, wildlife, uh, human welfare and global economy summit of the 2019, which was held um, at the UN headquarters of New York about, I think, four years ago. And it had recorded um, 
they, they had stated that um, for the past four years, uh, the f- past four years recorded as the hottest as about three degrees since 1990. The Action Summit noted that the climate change was um, disrupting national economies and costing countries um, if nothing was done. Um, the UN also, um, with this, aims to reduce and increase emissions by probably 2020, they mentioned, and has also identified a growth in affordable and scalable solutions that will enable nations to realize clean and more resilient. The Paris Agreement um, has a policy framework that sets out what needs to be done to reduce the climate change businesses or, or production, uh, production industries. Um, the transformative um, actions and policy can only be effective probably if nations' economies in line with the United Nations um, Sustainable Development Goals, which are the SDGs, as we all know. The summit um, encouraged the actions not to be no, not to add as, uh, as key decision makers within the innovative measures of moving forward to climate change. So in Botswana, basically, we are trying to get to a point where we understand what the UN policy Botswana is kind of lacking behind and fully appreciating, I'll just honestly say, um, and understanding the impact of climate change on investment. I'm meant to try and work with private entities to raise awareness to business com- um, business communities and civil societies and the general public on the imminent ad- adverse impacts that climate. Also, Botswana needs to reduce the use of um, fossil fuels such as coal. Slowly also, I should say, and applaud the country for slowly moving into the solar systems and trying to implement implement them with the help of the United move out of the combustion of fossil fuels and more into renewable um, um, energy. Botswana also has, besides solar, we have a lot of waste and um, innovative ways trees um, worldwide can look at to try and move from the burning of fossil fuels. Um, solar and conversion of um, WT, which is waste to energy resources, are like in abundance in Botswana. And our development initiative, um, since we are approaching, well, we have been forced to approach the fourth industrial revolution as we're having a webinar right now. The government, um, in partnership with other private in the renewable energy, and provide the necessary green infrastructure um, to play a meaningful role um, in growing the economy and creating wealth um, and employment for 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 us to get to a circular economy. Because I think I'm independent instead of being dependent. Uh, as you can see, the, the, the pandemic has has thrown us um, a bit under the bus to show that a lot of nations are actually not prepared engaging in these um, um, tactics of responsible investments and looking at how we can change um, our ways of um, reducing any impact to the environment, negative impact to the environment can also help us get to the circular economy. But the National Development Plan. Um, so our late, uh, the latest document is an NDP 11. So according to that document, Botswana is basically focusing on the environmental protection and management or basically is aimed at mainstreaming climate change and mitigating its impact. So we do have policies that can help us guide with the, with the development of more policies or with the, with the aim of um, proper. Technically, um, I should say, corporates are more focused on and concerned and tied to the expectations of short-term profits and not realizing um, uh, that the more attached to the short as, as opposed to safeguarding the environment for long-term national benefits. Um, this corporate culture should, I think, should actually, as time goes on, or actually right now, should phenomenon brings out of, that the phenomenon brings um, about and hence strike a balance between profit-making and environmental protection. I think that's where we get into ESG, environmental social governance and investing. Size the sense of responsibility and sacrifice short-term profits and invest in long-term environmental solutions and innovative ways to mitigate the climate change um, challenges from the private sector, public sector, NGOs um, um, are, are needed at large for the public so that we can um, fully implement environmentally friendly um, practic- practices and because um, at a global level.
So Botswana has an environmental governance program in place um, that um, assists um, the review of legislations to the alignment with international initiatives. So these include like the UN uh, Paris Agreement of Climate Change 2016. We have the UN Minamata um, Mercury Convention, which helps us mercury waste. Um, the Minister of um, um, of Waste um, actually recently, this year, yes, she recently launched the UN um, Minamata Convention. I was actually gladly part of the consultant map towards the implementation of it. Um, we also have the forest policy, the waste management policy, multilateral environmental agreements, implementation strategy, National Meteorological Services um, Act, as well as the Mines and Mineral Act of Zikini publicity and domest um, domestication in Botswana for them to be well understood um, by ordinary Botswana and to be fully implemented because I, I might be also very educated but I need to understand them. So how do you get the normal Botswana walking on the street to try and understand such such such, such in-depth English and terms? So I think also the institutions are basically, I feel like when it comes to investments and innovative ways to embrace um, responsible investment, which is RI. Um, through the incorporation of environmental social governance um, factors, as I mentioned before, um, into the projects and investment programs. Institutions take lead in the role of the Climate Action 100 Plus, it's something called the Climate Action 100 Plus. Um, it's a corporate um, 100 largest greenhouse gas emitters to improve efforts to reduce in emissions through environmental risk assessments and carbon tax models. So that's also um, the tax um, the taxmen can try and work on together to create carbon tax models. So I basically advocate for the establishment of a financial stability board. The financial disclosure should um, be implemented with the initiative to encourage all companies to provide. The initiative should also encourage um, financial institutions to assess environmental risks. It should be like a priority to assess environmentality. Any bank should actually have a financial stability board. And their impact on climate change, they should assess the environmental risks of investments and their impact on climate change and how they're prone and to a longer environmental protection, you know, for the country. So ESG investing basically has um, an understanding that companies that take issues on environmental social yeah, profit returns in, in the long term. But Botswana has legislation framework that could assist the financial institutions with the implementation of environmental social governance investing practices, um, such as the environmental um, and, and regulations 20, um, 2012, which is currently being reviewed, still being reviewed by the Parliament Waste Management Act of 1998 um, and the Atmospheric Pollution Prevention Act of 1971. So these pieces of legislation need to regularly be reviewed in order for them to remain relevant. So both strategies and pieces of legislation in place, but we kind of lag behind in implementation, as we all know. So I think the triple P, which is a private public awareness creation among the general public and build teams teams of experts like ourselves to assist with the implementation of environmental social government practices, which are the ESG practices sensitize various stakeholders and engage in the long-term solutions of environmental and climate mitigation. Yeah, so I think also the reduction of the greenhouse gases emission economical risk reduction as a means of, um, as a means to reduce climate change impacts. So it's up to us as uh, Botswana and as individuals in our own different countries um, to invest in economic problem. That seems to be way too big for any one of us to tackle by ourselves. So I think it's best, if not the right time right now, during the pandemic for the, gov um, the, the government of Botswana and private um, sectors to turn um, Botswana's economy around and other countries' economy around through green and sustainable ways um, 
of managing investments. So I think that's it from me. And it really is a problem that we need to tackle together. We know how much biodiversity means to us. You know, our wildlife, our plants, they make what is home to us. Even that fly that keeps annoying you, or rather in English, um, at the cap- cattle post. You know, the cattle post wouldn't quite be the same without them. Last up was the head of political section and climate change at the British High Commission in Khaburoni, Nicholas Jankowski. He presented on policy options for post-2020 biodiversity framework, implementation of the Paris Agreement, a way forward for COP26, and also touched on some ongoing projects that they have in Botswana that are related to biodiversity. As you may know, COP26 was to be hosted in Glasgow by the UK, but was postponed due to the COVID-19 pandemic to the 1st to the 12th of November 2021, still in Glasgow. Um, in the run-up to November 2021, the UK as host, will co-host with Italy, but we're the main host, will continue to work and lower emissions. Um, I'd just like to quickly go through the four main areas the UK government will be focusing on COP26. Uh, the first one is clean using options of the past. I know another panelist mentioned that, obviously, coal here in Botswana, and we need to focus on low cost zero emission technologies of the future. Um, the British High Commission in Khabarone is working with cutting edge UK companies uh, that are keener investing in solar power in Botswana and another uh, panelist meant the cost of uh, solar power is now actually cheaper than fossil fuels. Um, the second thing we'll focus on is clean transport um, and we must work with partners to bring forward the date when zero emission vehicles are to buy and I think I saw a statistic somewhere that by 2040 half the vehicles sold in the world will be electric vehicles. So like with uh, solar energy uh, technologies really moving fast in these areas and there might be a point in the next few decades when all the cars sold will be electric cars. Um, the next uh, topic uh, that will be discussed are the human adaption. So nature will work to safeguard ecosystems, protect natural habitats and keep carbon out of the atmosphere and uh, linked to this is adaption and resilience and we will work with communities and countries adapt to the worst effects of climate change. And the final, the fourth topic that will be discussed uh, and it's finance um, and we will continue to work with institutions across the world to unleash capital that will pay for the shift to a zero carbon economy. Now I'll start to discuss a few other panelists mentioning um, our COP presidency falls during the first significant test of the Paris Agreement, where countries are expected to reassess their national commitments against overall goals of Paris to keep these, but at least below 1.5 degrees. So the UK is committed to facilitating agreement on outstanding elements of the Paris rulebook as part of a balanced negotiated outcome that helps realise the full potential of the Paris Agreement and also the convention uh, that demonstrates the continued importance of the UN FCCC funding that haven't been agreed yet, either a COP in the COP in Paris or the one in Madrid uh, that took place earlier. The areas that still need to be resolved are, t- the first one is transparency reporting. This is how a mechanism by where countries report that needs to be resolved. The second one is a, uh, an issue that needs to be resolved is carbon markets, which is Article 6. And this is obviously, a con- how do you price carbon? Can you trade carbon? These are things that will have to be discussed and hopefully agreed on at COP26. And the third one is uh, climate, uh, give about almost 12 billion over the next five years in climate finance, but we'd encourage uh, other donor countries to, to try and increase their level of climate finance. And also a lot of countries find climate finance quite difficult and onerous. So this is something that will be discussed next year at COP26 and hopefully we'll come to some kind of resolution. 
it is uh, crucial that every country comes forward in 2000 this year or next year with ambitious new cl uh, climate commitments that will help us all meet the, the goals of the 2015 Paris Agreement. In particular, the UK, which another panelist mentioned with, is enhanced emission reduction targets. So that's nationally determined contributions that will help us all meet the commitments set out under the 2015 Paris Agreement. I know some countries have come out with new NDCs over the last few months, but we're encouraging all countries. And the second thing we encourage all countries to do is to come up with long-term strategies that will mark a course towards zero emissions, preferably by two major economy in the world to pass laws to end its contribution to global warming by 2050. So the UK will be net zero by 2050. And we don't expect all countries to be net zero by 2050, but we would encourage countries to have a long-term strategy that works towards. talked about the Paris Agreement. I'll talk about the policy options for post-2020 bi bi uh, biodiversity framework and nature-based solutions. Um, nature, including land and biodiversity, has an important role in climate change, adaption, adaption and mitigation. There's potential for initiative links to link to soil, forests, and land. China hosted Convention on Biological Diversity, the BCD COP, uh, that's COP15, which was supposed to take place in Kunming in October this year, um, and is obviously linked to COP26, but that has, has, to be, that has been possible still to be confirmed. Um, the UK is leading calls to halt biodiversity loss, prevent the illegal wildlife trade, and protect and restore key landscapes. Um, the UK has pledged COP26 to shine a spotlight on solutions to climate change that can be found in nature, and we will pioneer work on nature-based solutions as part of the doubling of the UK climate finance that I talked about earlier. Uh, specifically on bio, including a new international biodiversity fund with an initial investment of 220 million from the UK, and 4 million of this is committed towards reforestation. The UK is also committed to it. It's an initiative led by the UK to designate 30% of the world's oceans as marine protected areas by 3030. And we call on other countries to join the UK through the Oceans Alliance, which has been supported by a number of countries so far. Um, and I'll talk specifically about what the British High Commission is doing in Botswana on biodiversity. So we are working mostly aware of what Kaza is, the wildlife area uh, comprising in uh, five uh, countries, so Namibia, Botswana, Angola, Zambia and Zimbabwe, and the Kaza Secretariat is based in Kasane, and uh, supporting sustainable development for the communities living along wildlife in the region. And the British High Commission in Khabarone is also working in the working with the Sadak Secretariat, which is based in Khabarone, on transboundary water management and support for remit resilient infrastructure development facility to scope, design, and implement water infrastructure projects across southern Africa. So that's what the UK and, and the British High Commission is doing on biodiversity. Um, I just thought I'd talk quickly about two other issues. So um, the, the next one is about building. Back better and uh, other recover from C19. The decisions we make today will either lay the foundation for sound, sustainable, and inclusive growth, or lock in polluting emissions for decades, and in doing so, make our society and the planet more vulnerable. As the COP presidency leading up to COP26, we are committed to increasing climate ambition. We will uphold the parliament as crucial frameworks for guiding the recovery. Coronavirus has provided a stark reminder of what happens when humanity's relationship with nature breaks down. As we recover, we are to deadly viruses and climate impacts. A science-led clean and resilient recovery will, increase, will create employment in the industries of the future while ensuring we address the linked challenges to work multilaterally to recover better, uh, support the most vulnerable, and anchor the enhanced and credible climate action at the heart of recovery. And we recognize that a lot of countries are having immense challenges at the moment, but we're keen to work with countries to develop their response tailored to their own circumstances. And because it's a world environment, I'd just like to plug one thing. Um, the UK is launching and it is a global COP26 campaign to mobilize leadership and support for businesses, cities, regions, and investors 
for a healthy, resilient, zero-carbon recovery, which creates jobs, unlocks inclusive and sustained pain, which is under the stewardship of the UN high-level climate champions, which are UK and Chile in this case. We're really real economy leaders to join the largest ever coalition of non-governmental leaders through the Climate Ambition Alliance, all committed to the same overarching goal, achieving net zero emissions by 2050 at the very latest. And the objective of this campaign, COP26, where governments must strengthen their contribution to the Paris Agreement. And uh, this is not a government thing, it's a non-governmental organisation, but it will send governments a resounding signal that businesses, cities, regions and investors are united in meeting the Paris goals and creating a more inclusive and resilient economy. And the Race to Zero is an umbrella uh, campaign that aggregates net zero commitment climate action network. So, in conclusion, uh, the UK up to and enduring COP26 is facilitating agreement and hopefully conclusions on outstanding elements of the Paris rulebook and leading, to, leading calls to halt biodiversity loss, prevent illegal wildlife trade and protect and restore uh, key landscapes aim for the race to zero on World Environment Day. But thank you very much. That's uh, the end of my presentation. This week on Africa Bites, I had a chat with fellow Resilient 40 member Clement Kandodo from Malawi. First, I asked him what he does and what he understands climate change to be. I'm the founder and the managing director of Ecogen. Basically, what we do at Ecogen, we provide good quality biogas digester. Basically, this is the, um, the tool that conveys organic waste, basically food waste, into um, energy and uh, fertilizer. So our main uh, focus is to help people to access clean energy and um, also uh, work on the, uh, the problems of waste management and provide uh, fertilizer for smallholder farmers from made from waste. Ah, basically, climate change is basically the changing of um, the weather pattern, uh, the changing of how uh, things have been, like maybe rainfall uh, pattern has changed. Uh, we have floods, we have droughts, so many things happening. So that's climate change for me. Okay. And has it affected you directly? Yes, so many. Basically, uh, like you come from a f family whereby we are farmers. So now, like, the way we used to uh, produce crops, now it's so low. That means uh, we need to spend a lot of money uh, in crop production. And now with the increased population, like, uh, we don't have enough land to, to do the crops and because there is no reliable info so just so many problems coming up okay and what do you wish people knew about climate change uh basically uh, i would love uh, people really to understand uh, what climate change is and also not just talk but to to, to take action uh, especially for uh, people in hard-to-reach areas, okay? They, they need to know uh, these things and uh, take uh, measures on how best uh, they can address them and on how best they can cope up with it. Sure. Um, last question. If there's one action that you, you would encourage everyone to take, um, what would it be? Um... We are the change and we are the voice. I think uh, we, we have uh, the knowledge and the expertise 
so let's take um, uh, the the energy the expertise the knowledge that we have to also teach other people out there and that was it for this week thank you so much to tracy and the botswana climate change network team for hosting and sharing the webinar and thank you for listening to this week's episode of Sustain 267. I'll be posting conversations every week exploring climate change and sustainability in Botswana. I was your host, Batagilisize, and the sound engineer was Malehuma Koiti. Like our Facebook page, Sustain 267, share your thoughts and feedback on today's episode and any recommendations for topics you'd like to know more on. Actually, also share where you're listening from. So I've had some responses from Botswana, of course, um, Kenya, Ethiopia, Rwanda, and even Mauritania, um, just to name a few. So where are you listening from? Until next week, in the meantime, let's stay safe, keep our masks on, and where possible, stay home. Take care. Sustain 267.